on Healing from Within with Tony Valen. We're here to talk about the Celestial Code of Scripture. While researching celestial mythology at Brigham Young University, John McHugh stumbled upon the arcane code that is the template for all legends and miracles in all Mesopotamian, Greek, Roman, Jewish, Christian, and Islamic scriptures. Mesopotamian astronomers were regarded as magicians, whose task was to interpret and elaborate secretly on the heavenly writings, the literal writing of the gods. The Celestial Code of Scriptures is the first book to present and explain this secret Mesopotamian cipher. Next on Healing from Within with Tony Valen. Hi, I'm Tony Valen. Welcome. On today's show, I have John McHugh. He's here to tell us all about his book, The Celestial Code of Scripture. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. And on this show, I'm going. we're going to do a different takeover and tell us your story. Well, I, I'm an archaeologist with a specialty in archaeoastronomy, especially as it relates to the Bible and the Quran. And I, I think it's, uh, I, again, I... I I don't want to disappoint your viewers, but I, uh, I, your your show is healing from within, and I don't have a lot of healing to impart. However, what I think uh, I, I think your viewers will find fascinating is um, the the fact that so many zodiacal constellations uh, play roles in iconic miracle stories, from pagan religious mythology to Judeo Christian and Islamic religious mythology as well. And I, I think your uh, viewers may get a kick out of that. Your listeners may really get a, a, a real thrill from that because it's probably an avenue they know very little about. Um, so anyway, that, that's what the book is really about. So it's called The Celestial Code of Scripture, the astral cipher underlying the miracle stories of the Bible and the Quran. And so what it traces is that the, the iconic miracles you think of from your know, Sunday school, uh, or from pagan, Greco-Roman, especially religion mythology, uh, the, the scene of the golden fleece carrying two children on its back, uh, the story of uh, Noah's celestial Noah's flood, the story of a garden, a garden in Eden, uh, inhabited by a man and a woman and, and a god named Yahweh. Um, you, you know, the Jesus Siwa, virgin birth, uh, the the idea that the Quran is a celestial tablet. Uh, kept in heaven. All of these extraordinary ideas can be traced to stellar pictures and then encrypted messages in the most, the oldest pre-biblical, pre-Islamic pagan uh, star atlases found in Mesopotamia and they're written in cuneiform. So yeah, so that's kind of what the book's about and uh, what my presentation here uh, on your show is about. And uh, I, I think your viewers and listeners will find it intriguing 
from the aspect of the history of astrology in the ancient world. Right. Perfect. Well, yeah. Jump right so, into it. We're ready. Okay, so I'm just going to share my screen here. And uh, so uh, let's pull it up. So, uh, so let me just get this on uh, full screen. Hang on. Sorry. Second. Here we go. So that, that is the book, this Lesser Code of Scripture. It's the astral cipher underlying the miracle stories in the Bible and the Quran. This subtitle basically says it all. And I talked about the iconic miracle stories it covers. But what, but what the book is really about, if I, if I could just read this section from the prelude, this pretty much summarizes what the book's about. It's really a, a mystery. It's a, a, a unlocking a mystery. Uh, I was raised devoutly Roman Catholic, and it's my desire to try to reconcile the miracle stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Quran with uh, science. So while in grad school studying the role that astronomical knowledge played in the religious mythologies of the archaic civilizations, I stumbled, stumbled onto an arcane celestial thinking paradigm unlike any we embrace today. This esoteric doctrine held that the constellations depicted depicted still frames of monumental incidents that had taken place on Earth in the distant past. Alternate readings for the cuneiform signs that were used to spell out the constellation's cuneiform titles uh, divulged the details and the action that was taking place in each astral scene. Hence, in the ancient world, the constellations depicted an infallible repository of mythical history which cuneiform sources refer to as heavenly writing or constellation writing. Religious astrologers such as the Magi that followed the star of Bethlehem to baby Jesus' baby Jesus's birth arranged these jumbled array of stellar snapshots and accompanying uh, missives into narratives, which were then recorded as history in pagan, Judaic, Christian, and Islamic religious mythology. So, you know, some of the, again, I just mentioned that the Garden of Eden stories up there, Noah's flood and Ark, Samson's slaughter of a thousand men with the donkey's jawbone, Jonah's three-day confinement in, in the belly of a sea monster, Jesus's virgin birth and sea walk, John's woman-child dragon vision in Revelation 12, St. Christopher, the giant who carried baby Jesus across the river, and the Islamic claim that the Quran was based on a celestial tablet in heaven, and even um, Muhammad's encounter with the angel Gabriel, all of these can be found as stellar pictures in far older pagan astronomical texts, astrological texts. The, the word astronomy and astrology were the same word into the 6th century AD. So the idea of like astrology as a form of prognostication, everyone gets that. But in the ancient world, astrologers held a very, very... Uh, sobering, ta sobering task, which was to explain what happened in the past. In essence, they were the, the historian of their age. They were the historians of their age. So the nuances in ancient cuneiform text re reveal how they thought of this celestial sky as a history book. So they refer to the starry heavens as Shatir uh, Shameh, which means heavenly writing or celestial writing which explains the title of an astrologer. The title was Tupshadu, which means, means writer or author. 
they were literally writing, excuse me, these, these writers, these authors were reading the heavenly writing as a text from which to predict the future and explain the past. Uh, that was their job. And unlike the, uh, the astrologers today who work one on one, these astrologers were in the entourage of the king or queen. They were literally the advisors to the king or queen because they were the ones who would say, hey, we've got the signs are saying that we have a, uh, a fantastic wheat crop coming this summer or we have an assassination, an assassination attempt about to be occur on the king. So things like that. Uh, that's why they were just esteemed by the king or queen or the, the reigning monarch. So the idea of history verification, looking at pictures in the stars as seen from history, is not as far-fetched as you may think of it is. Um, the part that's difficult to understand is the idea that what we would call wordplay, punning, double entendre, that that this revealed the action and the details that were taking place in each stellar, stellar scene, that's a tough one to impart. So the idea of still frames is, is pretty straightforward. When you look at the ancient 48 Greco-Roman constellations, they're literally scenes from sacred history that are depicted in the constellations. In fact, that's how you became a deity. You were a, depicted among the... Uh, the immortal star gods. So you see there in that picture, Perseus carrying the head of Medusa. You see Pegasus who stepped, who jumped forth from the severed head of Medusa. That's, her, that's Pegasus' birth. You see Ketis there, the sea dragon at the bottom of, of the uh, picture. Um, and you see Andromeda in the center part of the, the scene. Andromeda is tethered to a rock as a sacrifice to Ketis. Uh, to assuage the anger of the sea nymphs. These are literally scenes from the Greek and Roman sacred uh, history, which appear in our own night sky. Another one is just a chase scene. Orion and Scorpius are placed among the stars. Well, Orion, when Orion sets, Scorpion rises, Scorpius rises, and that's a chase scene frozen in time. The ancient texts tell us that this giant scorpion eventually chased Orion down and stung him dead. And that the heroism of Orion was placed in the stars as was Scorpius to be remembered for all time. Both images being star, becoming star gods and mortals in the heavenly sky. Um, and of course, Scorpius is found in our own, you know, our own zodiacal uh, signs. So the idea of word plays revelation, this one I'm just going to scoot through really fast because this is you have to read the book to really grasp the, the concept of this one. But an example of it is one of the most popular examples is the scene in uh, Matthew's gospel where Jesus says to Peter, he says, when I say to you that Peter, you are rock, Petrus means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Well, that's not just some witticism. In the ancient world, this was a serious thing and the Roman Catholic Church turns to this passage as proof that Jesus's pun made Peter the, the founder of the papal office. He was the first pope. That's a pretty serious pun, you know. Um, 
you see it in ancient cuneiform writing. You see words like this, phrases like this. You get amat nitsirti, which means hidden words. We would call it double entendre or puns or wordplay. And what they are is they're the perishtu sha'ili, which means the secrets of the gods. And, and when you found the pun, you'd often see the astrologer writing down, it's a secret of the great gods. The uninitiated shall not see it. Again, we don't use pun puns in that way today. We see them as humor, as witticism. In the ancient world, they were literally revelation. Um, so word playing, cuneiform writing. I'm just, again, I'm just going to cover this in a cursory form, format so that your listeners and viewers can understand what the book's about. So yeah, there's one cuneiform sign there. It's the cuneiform sign that means skies or heavens. It can also be read as the word for God. Okay, because in the ancient world, the stars were the gods, the, the star gods, the constellation gods, the planet gods were the deities. However, this cuneiform sign doesn't mean doesn't just mean skies, heavens or God. It also has a whole I'm sorry, a whole bunch of other meanings, including like belonging to me, star, ear of barley, impale of taboo. And in the ancient world, the Anytime this cuneiform sign came up, it could impart these hidden words that revealed aspects of a deity's powers. So, um, and there were also, for instance, ver many, many, again, in cuneiform writing, it's a Slavic script comprised of 600 cuneiform signs. It's not the simplistic alphabetic writing we use today. It's on par with Egyptian hieroglyphics, extremely complicated writing, took three years to learn, to master. One cuneiform sign, this one means star or constellation. That's the common, the most prevalent usage of this cuneiform sign. However, it has a whole bunch of other meanings, including like shining brightly, inscription, writing, arrow, foundation, ornament, pierce, wood wasp, watercourse, distant time, fruit, feeling elated, uh, field, moon and month. So again, I'm not going to beleaguer your viewers on this. So who knew this, this magic, this cryptic form of writing that was privy to only the scholars? Well, some of the, the un, unequivocal people who knew this kind of writing was, for instance, Daniel. Daniel is, uh, he is taken as, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar II, Daniel is a Jewish uh, scholar and three of his countrymen are taken, and Daniel becomes the uh, the head astrologer, the supervisor of all the diviners and the astrologers in Babylonia, and he's Jewish. The Magi are another form of this, the people who knew this cryptic form of writing. They're following a prodigious star to Jesus's uh, birth in uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, Homer is, uh, his name means hostage, because so many of these astrologers, when a vanquishing king took over a new nation, they took the first thing they did is rounded up the diviners and especially the astrologers and brought them into the entourage of the, the new reigning king or queen. And that's why Homer's name, it reveals his identity. He's a hostage. And several ancient sources say, yeah, he's a Babylonian astrologer who was taken hostage. Um, uh, by a Greek king. Another one is Jesus himself. Jesus is often depicted performing his miracles 
using a magic wand. So if you wanted to convert to Christianity, you were a Jew or you were a pagan, you heard about Jesus's miracles, you'd say, oh, well, he's a magician. Of course, Jesus knew all kinds of magic, including this cryptic system of reading the celestial sky to understand what what monumental scenes or what events occurred in the ancient past. So I'll give you an example of how this shows up in pagan religious mythology. You have Ares, the golden fleece flying ram. So how does Ares come about? So in ancient Mesopotamia, Ares was called uh, Luhunga, which means man or hired worker. He's literally a hired field worker standing next to a plow and the field that he is destined to uh, to till. And because cuneiform writing is so cumbersome, the cuneiform, the astrologers are trying to kind of, they're always trying to uh, shorten or, you know, abbreviate their writing because it's so complicated and so tedious writing cuneiform. So Luhunga is the original title of Aries, and they just abbreviated to Lu. Now, Lu has many, many readings. One of them is ram and one of them is becomes. So all of a sudden you have this pun that says the hired worker becomes the ram. That's how we get, anyone who knows the history of astro astronomy knows that that's pretty much the pun that created our, our zodiacal ram in, in the Greek or in the Greco-Roman world. However, Luhunga, Muluhunga, the constellation hired worker has many, many other puns embedded within it. And when you write those puns down, as I do in the book, you get the flying golden fleeced ram carries Curly and Hele. Curly is just the name Phrixus. They're the they're two siblings that are carried on the, the flying golden fleeced ram embodied in Aries. Uh, one of them is Phrixus, whose name means Curly, and the other one is Hele. And one of the cuneiform signs for Lu can be read Ili, a synonym is Ili, which translates as Hele in uh, Greek. And I do that in the, I show that in the footnotes of the book. Another one is Hele falls into the, the sea. And that's one of the tragedies of that scene. And then Ares sacrifices itself up as the golden fleece and becomes Ares. So, so the Garden in Eden, you know, the, you know, you know, the scene with the golden fleece ram, there's also the the Garden of Eden, literally, Eden is just the Sumerian word, the Mesopotamian word for stepland. You could translate it as backcountry or wilderness. And there's a, a garden constellation in the stars. So again, we go back to that hired worker, Aries, right? There's this plow, there's the field. This is New Year's Day, March 21st in Mesopotamia, first millennium BC. To the southwest is the water god, Ea. This is the god that causes the flood in the uh in the uh, mesopotamian flood story it's also the god that's embedded in aquarius our water god so again they're always trying to write these names shorter or use simpler forms of the of the the an epithet that's easier to write because cuneiform writing quite frankly sucks to write in it's terrible it's so difficult to write in so you got aries there that's the abbreviated form. Well, Aries just means, Lou just means man. It just is a word for man. Well, that's what Adam means. So you have a guy named Adam or man standing next to this field constellation. And the cuneiform sign for this field constellation, the sign name is gone. 
Well, that's the Hebrew word for garden. And you're like, okay, so there's a guy named Adam. There's a garden constellation. And then you have the, the flood god in, embedded in Aquarius right there. Well, one of the epithets for Ea, Aquarius, is uh, Edin. And that could, it means springs, like as in springs, like water, like spring waters. And an alternate reading for that cuneiform sign that's right there, Edim, is May. And May can be read, uh, he will be. And that's what Yahweh means. It means he will be. So you have a man, you have a garden, you have uh, a God named he will be. Other puns that I'm not going to go into in this presentation rendered uh, a garden in Eden, in Stepland, in the east. So eventually the puns on Aries and the Pegasus Square and Aquarius render a garden in Eden or Stepland in the east. And I, you know, I verified this in footnotes. Remember, I'm always trying to win over the scholars. So I gotta, I gotta write these really yeah. dense articles and stuff. And they are, uh, that's what the, 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 the book is written for an educated lay person, but the footnotes are for the scholars so that, that I'm, so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. So uh, one of the things that cuneiform astrological tablets say is that the uh, the this this garden constellation, this Pegasus square constellation, is the Shubat or the the residence of the dwelling of Aquarius. So Yahweh Aquarius dwells in this garden in Eden, and then you find other wordplay like that. Uh, there's a plow constellation that is that hired worker Aries's original title. Uh, that's it means plow, but it can also mean to plant. The cuneiform title for the uh, the garden constellation is also the word for box for obvious reasons. It looks like a box, yeah. and an alternate reading is aka, which also means to plant. So you have Yahweh Aquarius planted a garden in Eden in the east. So you have the literal words, the Hebrew words coming right out of Mesopotamian puns that are better embedded in this picture story. Then you find out that Yahweh put there the man whom he made. Um, again, I just go into this. I'm not going to beleaguer your viewers and listeners uh, <laughs> with all the puns. But one of the interesting things is, so where's the serpent coming from? Well, the, that, that's the Pegasus Square, that, that square constellation that is also the garden, uh, in in Sumerian, it's Stepland, it's Eden. That's what Eden is. Now, the Babylonian title for that, remember, Sumerian and Babylonian are different languages, but they're inhabiting the same area. And they're all writing in cuneiform. So the Babylonian title for Stepland is Tseru. And Tseru, it's a, it's a homonym. Um, the same word means serpent. So in the same way in English, you could say a bear in the woods to bear a child. Okay. Well, stepland and Teru in Babylonian means both stepland and serpent at the same time. And then everything the serpent says is all embedded as wordplay in that stellar picture story I showed you. Um, and then you find out that there's other words that say that, you know, Yahweh uh, Aquarius, he made from the rib, which he took from the man, made it turn into the woman. Um, again, and there you have the birth scene where uh, I wouldn't say bursting, but the creation story of Eve, um, whose name means life, and that's up there. I don't go into it in this presentation. There's a fruit in the middle of the garden and, and words 
homophones, homonyms, and synonyms reveal that this, uh, this fruit is forbidden. There's a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil embedded in wordplay for that garden constellation. And then there's also a flaming turning sword and the, cherub the cherubim, I guess you would say in English. Uh, it's the, there's a protector spirit embedded in Aries that, that is discussed in an ancient cuneiform uh, astronomical and astro astrological records studied by the astrologers. It just renders cherubim protect, protector spirit. And so you get Yahweh placed the cherubim and the flaming turning sword east from the garden, which is literally what it says in the Hebrew. So that's an example of one picture story in the stars. And there's others, like if you wanted to know the celestial floodwaters in the ark, well, there's a correlate to Noah's flood story in older Mesopotamian star atlases. So um, the wet region of, of the night sky is comprised of eight contiguous uh, aquatic constellations consisting of Capricorn, the goat fish, the dolphin, Aea Aquarius, the water god, the southern fish, the sea serpent, Ketus or Cetus in English, I guess, mm -hmm. um, the twin fishes, Pisces, the river constellation, and Argo, the boat. Now, right above these celestial floodwaters is, it's literally called, the, it's the, one of its titles is the, the crown constellation, which is embedded in the jawbone of the bull. The jawbone of the bull just happens to look like this Sumerian crown constellation. It's called Agu, which just means crown in Sumerian and, and uh, also in Akkadian. But Agu is also a homonym for devastating flood. So all of a sudden, these celestial waters become the scene of a celestial flood waters. And you, you suddenly find out that this this Argo, the only boat constellation in these celestial waters, is defined as a Magor boat in ancient Mesopotamia. It's just a kind of cargo boat. It's a very big cargo boat. And but when you look closer to cuneiform signs, you find out that Ma means boat and Gor means flood. So literally, the title of the only boat constellation in Mesopotamia also renders flood boat. So when you see it up there, suddenly you have this celestial flood waters and the flood boat, the original flood boat, the oldest flood boat floating in celestial waters. And it's found in the oldest flood story in, in Mesopotamia. It's called the Tale of Atrahasis, dates to about 1700 BC. So it predates the biblical flood story by about 1200 years, roughly. So um, and then, you know, you think of Samson's execution of a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Like, it, it, it sounds absurd. The story itself seems uh, far-fetched, right? Maybe. Look at Samson's name. Shimshun just means, it literally means little son. The, the, it, it, you read Hebrew backwards and it's vowelless. So Shemish is S-H-M-S-H. Shemish just means son. And the un ending is the diminutive. It's sort of like... Un in Hebrew means, in a Hebrew noun means like et in, in English, like like a kitchenette, like a little kitchen. Well, that's what Samson's name means. Shimshun just means like little son. So where is this little son at? Again, you turn to the crown constellation embedded in the uh, Hyades asterism in Taurus, right? It's a crown constellation 
but it's also a jawbone constellation. And it has many, many titles. One of them is the Sumerian cuneiform sign Main. And Main can be read crown, it can be read sun, and it can also render the word Sharu, which simultaneously means king and infant. So these word plays render uh, sun and infant. So you're an infant son or a baby son or a diminutive son. Well, that's Samson's name. So suddenly the Hyades asterism takes on a whole new meaning. It means Shimshum, little son. He's this famous Hebrew warrior. The constellation that houses this asterism, this little son asterism, is the bull constellation, right? And it also embodies the title warrior and name because the goo in cuneiform it's written, it's spelled goo in cuneiform in the oldest cuneiform tablets for this constellation. But that same cuneiform sign renders warrior and name. So you have a warrior named infant son. And that's probably how the idea of this, this famous warrior named infant, infant son came to be connected to a donkey's jawbone. So remember I talked about infant son, the Hyades asterism is the, it's literally the jawbone of the bull. Cuneiform uh, astrological taps, tablets have, you know, they have biological, uh, they have an eye constellation, they have the horns constellation, they have the jawbone constellation. So one of these is the jawbone of the bull. That's what the, the Hyades uh, asterism is in, in uh, Taurus. It's, it's a bull, but the one of the cuneiform signs is Pirig, which can be read gear, which means donkey. So that the jawbone of the, of the bull is also the jawbone of the donkey. And it's very likely that that's how the idea of Samson uh, using a weapon that is the jawbone of a donkey. Now it gets more prophetic in the sense that the Hyades asterism conveys uh, other other word plays and the bull constellation conveys other word plays. One of them, one of the spellings for bull, remember there's about 15 different cuneiform titles for the, for the bull, for Taurus. One of them is Lu, which uh, presents, um, uh, you know, it says Samson grabs the jawbone of the donkey and then other wordplay reveals that Samson kills a thousand men. So that story's up there. I'm just going to scoot through these fairly quick and now because I, you know, I don't want to use up all of our time. So, um, <laughs> you know, but so Jonah gets swallowed. It, one of the interesting things about the Jonah story in the Hebrew Bible, he gets swallowed by a giant fish. And in the New Testament and in Christian iconography, he gets swallowed by a sea dragon called Kedis. And you can see images up there below. So the differences in the in the iconography. And the only place you're going to find this Kedis, the sea dragon, it's right there. It's a constellation. Uh, it's just, it's, it's in the celestial waters, right? So how did Jesus know that the, um, that Jonah was swallowed by a sea dragon? Well, he knew it because wordplay on that boat constellation renders the prophet Jonah. And so anyway, you have a prophet Jonah, multiple wordplay in the constellation title, uh, for Kedis, one ren renders huge serpent, and under another renders renders huge fish. Remember, how did Jesus notice? Well, 
If you weren't a Christian, if you were a Jew or a pagan, you would know that Jesus was a magician. He did his miracles by using divination tactics of the pagan diviners. One of these were the astrologers. He would have known that that Kedis had two different titles. One rent, rendered big fish. One rendered uh, uh, a big giant serpent or giant dragon. So anyway, there's others. Um, the star Bethlehem and, stellar, and Jesus' stellar nativity is up there. You know, Regulus, the brightest star in Leo, is a child king star. And it's also uh, equated with the cuneiform sign May, which can mean anointed one, which is Christ. Hmm. Right? It means anointed one. So you have the Christ child and king star. Then uh, further wordplay refers to Virgo, not only as a virgin, but as a pregnancy goddess. So all of a sudden, you have a pregnant virgin in uh, an asterism in the northwestern stars of Virgo and Leo's tail. And then you have a, a Christ child, the king star, embodied in Regulus. And then next to that is the manger, which is the makeshift crib of the Christ child. And that's uh, Fatine, the M44 in uh, Cancer. So the, in this stellar picture story, you have this story of Matthew's virgin of Jesus's birth and Luke's virgin version of Jesus's birth. And then you have Jesus' sea walk. Orion walks on water far earlier than Jesus does. Um, if you look at Ar 700 years before Jesus walks on water, if you look at Orion's cuneiform titles, they render, you know, uh, it, it can render son of God and anointed one, um, you know, alternate word plays one of his titles is mul sukal which means consolation messenger but sukal has many different readings one of them is anointed one and so you get uh so you have uh the son of god the christ treads upon the sea and then various other word plays conveyed other aspects of the story like the fact that jesus walked down from the mountain Gemini was a mountain constellation in ancient Mesopotamia. It was the twin mountains. And um, so you have Jesus in the guise of Orion walking on the celestial sea after stepping down from the mountain, just like it says in Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels. Luke does not write that story. Then you have in the Quran, it's a celestial tablet preserved in heaven. Um, so you see it in various celestial tablets uh, recorded in the Quran. You have one of the one of the titles uh, of the Quranic chapters is the star. Another one is the moon. Another one is uh, the zodiac. Another one is the sun. And if you look at uh, pagan uh, Arabia, they have these betels, these squares cut into the rock where you put the image of the god. They're called literally bait al means um, it means house of the god. And so you would put your own image of your deity, your personal deity, into these rocks and worship it. So when you look at, again, we go back to that uh, Pegasus Square constellation. It's called, uh, wordplay embedded in it is called, a, you can get the words, a celestial tablet named the reciting or the recital. And that's what the Quran is. It's a recital. Uh, Muhammad was... Uh, he was uh, illiterate, and he was taught by a, 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 a magian, a, a magus, who uh, taught him all of this ancient 
uh, celestial mythology, and it shows up with the words Al-Qur'an, the recital. You also get a very interesting wordplay. Uh, in cuneiform writing, it's U-Ilu, and it literally is relating to the Pegasus Square constellation, and it says, the Pegasus Square is the god. Literally, that's what U-Ilu renders. And you know, remember, that's what Allah means. It means the god. So you have Pegasus is the god, and I'm wondering if that's where they got the idea of these bait owls, these uh, houses of the god embedded in the rocks. You put your image of the god. This then led into the idea of uh, Allah, the god, being the image of, uh, of this Pegasus square and depicted in the stars just like the Quran is depicted in the star. So the book is called The Celestial Code of Scripture, um, the astral cipher underlying the miracle stories of the Bible and the Quran. I hope that wasn't too pedantic and too boring for your viewers and listeners. I hope it was uh, enjoyable, um, and I hope they enjoy some of the imagery. Yes, uh, thank you, John, so much. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting, and, and I think uh, uh, for people to pick up the book is the only way they're really going to... Um, you're going to get uh, the message of the book and to, you know, and to be able to understand it. Uh, I, uh, before we run out of time in, in the last few minutes I have here, I wanted to ask you, so um, can you uh, tell me what got you into this? What what made you? Uh, yeah. So I was raised devoutly Roman Catholic, and I could never reconcile the miracle stories uh, of the Bible with science. But what it seems to be is that in the ancient world, there was a whole different conceptualization of what verified history. If you saw a picture in the stars, that proved a scene from the ancient world. And that's where all this stems from. It's from this very pagan origin of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And that's what's most exciting to me. I love paganism, especially as it's related to the Bible and the Quran. Very interesting. Well, John, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, the book is The Celestial Code of Scripture. Uh, John McHugh is the author. And I want to thank you so much for uh, letting us know about your, about your book. And we just have to read it to get more of it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tony. I so appreciate being on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.